Hi, my name is Anne Mogilewski. I have been living with scleroderma for over 20 years, and I will be the host of Mogul's Mobcast. This podcast is designed to be a chat about scleroderma. From stories of people living with scleroderma, lifestyle issues like nutrition, medicines, and vitamins, to exercise and meditation. I will be interviewing doctors, nutritionists, scleroderma patients, and lifestyle experts. Just a reminder, I'm not a licensed medical provider. This podcast is for general information only. Please contact your physician before starting anything new. Now for our episode. Hi, and welcome to Episode 3 of Mogul's Mobcast. Today's guest is Dr. Stephen Beldner. He is the co-director and co-founder of the Hand and Wrist Surgery Center of Lenox Hill in New York City. He has published and lectured extensively, both nationally and internationally, on problems related to the hand, wrist, and elbow. His expertise is frequently sought by professional chefs, fashion designers, musicians, artists, and athletic teams in the NHL, NBA, and New York State Athletic Commission. Dr. Belder uses his medical knowledge combined with state-of-the-art technology to best restore original function. Some of his patients have gone on to win the World Series in baseball, Stanley Cup in hockey, NBA division champions, world middleweight boxing titles, Olympic gold and silver medals, and some have been inducted into the Hall of Fame of their respective professional sports. He also has extensive knowledge of scleroderma, in which you will hear in this show. His practice encompasses disorders from the elbow to the fingertip. He's a minimalist who believes that surgery should only be considered after all options are exhausted. Let's go meet Dr. Beldner. Let's start, Dr. Beldner, with just kind of like your background, your schooling, that kind of thing. Okay. I went to school in New Jersey, uh, New Jersey Medical School, and then I did my training over at NYU, and I was trained in orthopedics for approximately five years. Upon finishing orthopedics, I, I did a one-year fellowship in just hand surgery, uh, where you just do the uh, upper extremity. And I specialized really from the elbow to the fingertips. The person that I trained with got me interested in scleroderma. Scleroderma is one of these conditions where there's not a lot of people who have the condition. It only occurs in about one in 100,000 people. So if you think about that, if there is about 8 million people in New York City, there's only 80 people in the entire city of New York with this condition, uh, of which I've treated well over several hundred of people with this. I've started writing some papers on it, and once you start writing and getting involved in the Scleroderma Foundation in the tri-state area, and I've also done a couple of national lectures for the Scleroderma Foundation because there's not too many doctors who are interested in this condition. This is a very frustrating condition to treat. There's no cure for it, which is very sad, and the tissues are very difficult to work with. Thank you. So I always wonder, I mean, how did you get interested in like working with hands as a, you know, as your direction and being a physician? Well, I worked as an automotive mechanic when I was in high school. And I was just very mechanically inclined. I was always taking things apart and putting them together. And orthopedics and specifically hand surgery lends itself to the you know 
taking things apart and putting it back together and fixing things, which is what I always enjoyed about being an automotive mechanic. And there was this natural segue into becoming a, a hand doctor because I'm basically doing the same thing. It's just that i um, working with a little more complicated machine. <laughs> That's very interesting. I always wonder why doctors pick the fields that they pick. And how long have you been a hand surgeon? I graduated from medical school in 1991. Uh, and then I graduated from my fellowship in 1997, where I became board certified, probably about 25, 30 years. Wow. Excellent. And so you said right now, like how many patients are you treating right now for scleroderma? Well, I mean, over the past 20 years, I've treated well over, well over 100. We've written several papers about the subjects, ranging from different types of surgical procedures and ways of trying to manage the condition. And what do you, when people with scleroderma come to you, do they most, do they have, what's like the main reason that they come to you usually? For scleroderma? Yeah. So there's two types of scleroderma. There's a progressive systemic sclerosis, and then there's the Crest variant. People with the progressive systemic sclerosis, um, they tend to have a more of like ulcer formations in the tip of their fingers, where their Renaud's phenomenon is to search it to such a point that the fingertips start to die. Okay. So that's what the progressive systemic patients usually have. The crest variants, uh, and crest stands for calcinosis, Renaud's phenomena, scopogil dysfunction, sclerodactyly, and phalangiectasias. It's an abbreviation for the most common conditions that they develop. They tend to get contractures of their fingers. And what happens is, is that the uh, ligaments around the joints tighten up and they lose the ability to straighten their fingers. They also get ulcers, but they don't get ulcers on the tip of their fingers. They get it on the back of their knuckles right over here. Because as the fingers start to curl down, it compromises the circulation there. The crest variants also get calcium deposits, which can sometimes erode through the skin. And then they, when they become symptomatic and they're close to the skin, they also need to be addressed as well. Yes, I have a problem with calinosis on my hands right now. I understand that. So if people are coming to see you just for Raynaud's, are most of those patients also have scleroderma or do you get both of those? Types? No, not everybody who has Raynaud's has scleroderma. There are other conditions which can cause Raynaud's. And, you know, Dr. Raynaud was a doctor who lived a long time ago and nobody really knew a lot back then. And he was able to put his name on a lot of different things. So what he described and what's attributed to him is three conditions. There's Raynaud's disease, there's Raynaud's phenomenon, and then there's Renaud's syndrome. Now, Renaud's disease is probably one of the more common things I see, and it has nothing to do with scleroderma. It's basically young, usually females, who their fingers are very reactive to the cold. They go out into the cold and their fingertips turn blue, they become uncomfortable and painful, they get a little bit numb, uh, they come back into a warmer setting and the fingers pink up. That's very common, usually 20 to 30 females, not associated with any underlying disease, it's an annoyance. People don't lose tissue. They don't lose function. It's just annoying. And there are simple things which can be done for that. The important thing is to make sure they don't have what's called a Renaud syndrome. Renaud syndrome is when it's associated with another disease, such as scleroderma or lupus or Berger's disease. There are multiple different types of diseases that cause it. 
the reason why we make the distinction between syndrome and disease is that syndrome usually is going to require more aggressive forms of treatment because in those patients, uh, we tend to see soft tissue loss where the fingers start to die. Whereas Renaud's disease, by definition, never see any soft tissue loss. Okay. The third is Renaud's phenomenon. And Renaud's phenomenon is just the action of going into cold weather and having the fingers turn blue. So Renaud's phenomenon can occur in Renaud's disease or it can recur in Renaud's syndrome. And it's just the actual vasospasm that we're seeing. Uh, yeah, I have a question too. I know you can't give you know, medical advice, but is there a better way, like if your hands turn purple, I mean, running them under hot water or using like a hair dryer, is there any particular thing that you can do kind of quickly to warm them up? Yeah, most of the things I've learned, I've learned from scleroderma patients and they came in here and they came up with really good solutions for their problems. One frequent problem is, you know, when they're going out to the cold, mittens work better than gloves. Okay. So if you huddle all the fingers together, it's a lot better than the gloves. They have these little warm heaters that you can put uh, in the glove to try to keep the fingers warm as well. And so a lot of my patients use that. The other problems that they run into is drinking from a glass. If they have to pick up a glass of ice water or soda and there's ice in it, it'll immediately send their fingers into spasm. So you have to be careful when doing that. And a lot of my patients will drink from wine glasses, not because they're drinking because <laughs> they're drinking wine, but the stem of the glass doesn't get cold from the ice. So you can enjoy your cold drink, but not have your fingers touch the, the cold surface of the, of the ice, of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the glass. Okay, those are some good suggestions. I just know that sometimes when I get an episode, you know, I sometimes have to, you know, get my hands under hot water uh-huh. to, to warm them up. Dry the hand once you're done with the with the, with washing it with the warm water because if the water evaporates off your skin, it lowers the temperature and can cause another spasm. Huh. So don't leave your hands wet. Dry your fingers off so the water doesn't evaporate off your skin and lower the temperature of the skin. Oh, that's good to know. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Now, I would, I'm finding out more and more as I'm getting into more of my learning about other patients. I didn't realize how many people have the S of crest. You know, um, the curly, I mean, mine were really bad, but it, how many patients do you see with the, I can't, this S part of crest? Sclerodactyly. So basically what sclerodactyly is, is that the wrinkles in your fingers start to disappear. Okay. And it's because of the tightening of the skin. The one nice thing, if there is anything nice about scleroderma is you never have to worry about getting a facelift. Um, <laughs> because your fingers, your, the skin of your face gets pulled extremely tight and you tend not to get as many wrinkles. You do get the T, which is telangiectasias, and they look like these little strawberry marks on your face. They can be treated with laser if they cosmetically bother you, but you don't necessarily have to do anything because they don't really cause symptoms. It's more of a cosmetic appearance than anything else. Yes, I know I have a lot of those. and tend to, I don't even think laser would help because there's so many on my face. I just wear lots of makeup. That's way to treat it as well, yeah. But usually there's, you know, some people just get one or two and some people can get like hundreds. Yeah. Um, they're, they're little blood vessels and they can laser them if they really bother you, but they don't cause any symptoms or problems. It's more just cosmetic than anything else. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about the hand surgery that I had for my listeners. My hands had curled so much that I was, they're almost closed. Do you remember that part, Dr. Belner, that when you saw me? I did not pull your chart. I I fused the joints and put them into a better position. Is that right? Okay. So do you want to kind of explain how that procedure works for those people that might you know, be interested in, you know, as their hands start to curl. I don't know when you decide it's a good time or. Okay. Um, so basically what happens is the fingers, the, the, the ligaments around the small, it's usually what we call the PIP joint in this middle joint here. The ligaments tighten and tighten and tighten and they put the fingers into a position uh, which allows you to use the hand functionally. At this joint over here, the joint above, those ligaments can tighten so that you can't bend the fingers all the way down. That occurs less frequently. The more frequent problem with scleroderma is these middle or PIP joints. Therapy has not been found to be uh, effective at regaining motion once it's been lost. So once the motion is lost, you know, you can't go to a therapist and improve on it. What some studies have shown is, is that therapy or splinting can maintain what you have, but doesn't restore what you lost. So if it's already gone, going to a therapist will not be very helpful. But if you haven't lost it and still in a functional position, a therapist can reduce the risk of it progressing. Now, it doesn't always stop the progression because the progression is really based on the severity of the disease, but they can sometimes slow down the progression of the contracture. My indications for surgery for that is um, if somebody's developing ulcers on the back of the finger because the uh, joint is so far bent that it's compromising the circulation in the back of the finger, or if the finger is in such a poor position that you're not able to use it for normal everyday living, such as holding a hairbrush or a hair dryer or brushing your teeth, uh, buttoning your clothes and, and things that you're required to do from a daily, daily basis. Oh, that sounds like me. So when I had mine done, and I actually, for the listeners, had both my hands done because they were both pretty much in bad shape. What 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 does the con- procedure consist of? So basically, we make a small incision on the back of these joints. We make them in line with the skin crease. So when they when they heal, they actually look like a natural skin crease. We do shorten the bone a little bit so that we can put it into a more functional position. And I aim to put the finger in a position sort of like in a natural arch. Now, if these joints aren't working, I'll usually leave them a little bit more bent because if this is not working very well, it limits your ability to close the fingers. If these joints are working well, I usually position them a little bit more open because you're able to reach around and grab. So the positioning of the finger is really dependent on how well the joint below is working. We stabilize it with pins and the pins are usually left in for approximately six to eight weeks. Once the bones have healed themselves together, we remove the pins in the office. Now, when we do that, the joint that I do that to will no longer move. The joint above it and below it still moves so that you have a hand that sort of works like this so that you can reach around and grab things. It gets rid of the pain, it heals the ulcers, and it puts the fingers in a position where you're able to better functionally use it it's not making the hand of a 20-year-old, though. It's still a limited function. It's giving a lot of function back to somebody who wasn't able to use the hand at all. Now, um, 
just uh, trying to think of confusion. Do you actually, how do you, do you break the bone? I'm kind of confused on what to do to the, the bone. At the end of the bone, there's these cushions called cartilage. And if you've ever seen the end of like a chicken or a turkey drumstick, you see this white little cap there. So okay. what we do is we remove those white little caps and we put the two bones together. Now, when we make one bone touch the other bone and we hold it still with the pin, your body thinks that the bones are broken and that they'll heal the two pieces of bone together as though they were one. Once they're healed together, that joint no longer moves, but we're putting it in a more functional position so that you're able to grab and pick things up a lot more easily. It also is very good at getting rid of pain because when the joints aren't healthy, obviously that's going to be painful for you. I mean, how did you figure out this surgery? Because it doesn't sound like, I don't know, that you, I don't know how many patients have had this, but it just seems like something very limited to figure this out. So my interest sort of laid in the, the person who trained me at NYU was interested in this subject and he had treated hundreds of patients with this problem. And when I was with him, we published several papers together about the condition. And then once people saw that I was publishing on it, I was approached by some organizations, uh, Scleroderma Foundation, National, Local, who said, hey, we see that you're interested. We see that you're writing about it. We'd like you to start coming and talking at some of our conferences. Okay. So I started doing that. And the next thing I know, I have a lot of patients with scleroderma walking into my office. So now we have people from coming from across the country. I've seen people from uh, almost every state in the country. We also have people coming from foreign countries as well, because there's not a lot of doctors who are really interested in dealing with this type of problem because it's so rare. Oh yeah, and I came from Minnesota to come to New York for this. And one of the things my rheumatologist was saying is that he knew a lot of great hand surgeons at Mayo, but none of them knew about scleroderma. So that was where his concern was before, you know, he didn't want me just to go to any hand surgeon. So I appreciate that you know about this. And I had my hands put in two different, what do you want to say, positions. So I had one that's a little bit more open than the other, so that each hand can kind of do something different. Right. I mean, it really depends on the joint below. So if the joints below are compromised, I usually close, keep the hand a little bit tighter so that you can reach around smaller objects. And then one hand, I leave a little bit more open so you can get yourself around larger objects. Because if it's too open, you can't grab the small objects. And if it's too closed, you can't grab the, the big objects. So we create one hand for small objects and one hand for big objects. Now, I have a question, too, is that one of my points of my podcast is to kind of inform people because I really didn't understand what CREST was when I was diagnosed. So if you if your path of scleroderma is going, you know, towards the limited or the CREST, if you start doing hand therapy ahead of time, could that have helped like my hands not get so? So what studies have shown is, is that therapy can reduce the speed of the progression of the disease. The disease is going to do what it's going to do. And okay. some people, they get crest or, or scleroderma and they have hardly any symptoms whatsoever. And some people are completely crippled by it. And we don't know why some people do well and some people do poorly. And we really don't have a good understanding of that. What studies have shown is that if you take 10 people with crest and you send them, they won't improve the range of motion. Okay, so once it's gone, it's gone. And a therapist okay. will not restore what you've lost. 
But what they have found is that people who work with therapy, that the progression of their contractures will be slower than it would have been if people didn't have any therapy at all. Again, the problem with therapy is there's not a lot of therapists who are interested in this either. Oh, that makes sense. I you never thought be very careful about splints and that sort of things because since the circulation is compromised, if you try to put a splint on, sometimes that can cause ulcers and things like that. So you have to be very, very careful what therapist you pick because uh, they can sometimes make the problem worse. For me, too, by changing the position of my hands, my Raynaud's, Raynaud's is better because now I have my circulation is better. Is that true? Yeah. So what happens is when your fingers are already bent like this, it kinks the blood vessel. And imagine if you take a carton hose and you fold it at a, uh, at a 180 degree angle, the flow of the water through the garden hose is going to be restricted. If you take the kink out of the garden hose and you sort of straighten it out, then the flow through the garden hose is going to be a lot better. And the blood vessels are like garden hoses. So the more contracted your fingers, the more bent that garden hose, the less flow is going to be through it. So by changing the position and straightening those fingers out, you can increase the circulation of the finger and help with a lot of that ischemic pain. Yeah, I know it has helped me a lot. I just have to say to my listeners too, when you're, after you have your surgery for your hands, they put you in this styrofoam hand holder. Yes, <laughs> to keep the hand elevated so it doesn't swell too much. And it's for your comfort. When it annoys you more than it helps you, you can get rid of it. I just thought I'll post it on my Instagram. I took some great pictures of me trying to, you know, go to a Broadway play with my styrofoam hand holder on. But, you know, so you... It would be not so nice. So when they see that, they sort of give you a little bit of room, so... <laughs> they they do because it's you're very Broadway tickets. The T seats are very close to each other. I luckily for the last one I had uh, had my hand on. I get the uh, outside seat, so that was really nice. I get it, you know, because it is a little nerve wracking when you're walking around because you don't really want anybody to touch your hands. I don't know. I thought you know I went this you know I seven weeks when I came back to see you. And even after that, because you put little uh, something over my hands to kind of protect them, I still got nervous. Yeah, usually at first, the fusions aren't 100% solid. So we give you a little plastic splints to protect them so they don't get knocked or hit and you break through the fusion sites. Each week that goes by, though, the fusion becomes stronger and stronger. And eventually, we don't need those anymore. No, right now, yeah. And another hard part, too, was the seven weeks that you uh, keep the pins in, you can't get your hand wet. So showering is quite a challenge. Yeah. That's, that was kind of one of my fun parts. So you've done um, a lot of patients and you've had a great success with the surgeries. Yeah. I mean, if it's done in the correct way, I mean, one of the, one of the advantages I have over a lot of other doctors is that by going to some of the national and local meetings, and seeing scleroderma patients from across the country, you know, I get to see what works and what doesn't work. And it's amazing what, you know, because some doctors, they tend to be, some doctors are known to have a little bit of an ego. And so, you know, they'll, they'll make you feel badly when they don't know how to deal with something, which I think is unfortunate. You know, I've had scleroderma patients come in and they say, well, the doctor said that the finger is going to turn black and it'll fall off on its own. And, you know, that is true. That will happen. But, 
it's a very painful process and there's things that can be done to prevent that from happening. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, glad to know that patients will like to hear that. Now, do you have any suggestions too? I only luckily have ever had one digital ulcer. It was quite painful. I'm grateful I've never had another one. Any suggestions for people when they get those? Uh, anything that they can do? Early, you know, at first you have to keep the hands very warm, try to avoid the, the spasm. I usually tell people to put a little baxitracin when it looks a little bit red to try to kill off any local bacteria in the area. No trauma, don't hit it. Try to keep the area as warm as possible. And if you see it's progressing, to follow up with your rheumatologist or your hand surgeon. Anything too for calcium deposits on hand? Any suggestions what you can um, do to prevent those? Okay. Trauma to the area, yeah, try not to knock it or hit it. What'll happen is when the calcium starts to get close to the skin, uh, the skin will become transparent. You'll see like, it looks like white chalk underneath. Once that occurs, you need to see your rheumatologist or hand surgeon, because usually that, that deposit needs to be removed surgically uh, okay. before it sort of erodes through the skin and sets up an infection. Okay, those are good things to know. I know that um, you had once told me that, you know, you can uh, see a scleroderma patient come in and know they have scleroderma before they do. Yeah, usually walking down the street, there's a typical appearance to their skin. Um, they, they get these little lines around their mouth that sort of run around the mouth, and they're 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 usually they're it looks like they've been Botoxed. <laughs> yeah, I now can identify with it. Is it okay if my show notes leave your um, clinic number in case people want to come to New York or want to, you know, get a hold of you? You know, I know you can't give medical advice over the phone, but if they want to come and see you, you can, you know, look at, you know, whatever their problem is from, you know. Now with the newer things, we can, we're able to do Zoom, so we can do consults like that. And then if you're coming from an area, usually we have like a concierge service where they'll set up like the hotel room and everything else close by to sort of facilitate that. Okay, well, I, you know, you might not be seeing as many patients right now, although we did talk about before the, we started recording about air conditioning and Raynaud's that it seems to affect us much more. Yeah, so usually I don't see scleroderma patients during the summer because they're usually doing pretty, pretty nicely. The first fall breeze is when they all start coming in September, October. And I know when I was there, I got to meet another scleroderma patient. I think I was leaving and she was coming in. So that was fun to talk to somebody else going through, you know, some of the same similarities. Yeah, I think the problem is there's so few of you. And that's why I think like the National Scleroderma Foundation, I know there's a Tri-State Scleroderma Foundation for New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut. And I'm sure they're sort of scattered throughout the country. So there are national and local uh, meetings where you can go and, and uh, commiserate with other people. And I think that's a really a great thing because, you know, when you have this, you feel like you're the only person in the world with it, but there's a lot more out there than you, than you think. Well, thank you, Dr. Beldner. Thank you for being on my podcast. Okay, thank you and good luck. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please share this podcast with other people living with scleroderma, their families and friends. Also, if you have feedback, questions, or guest recommendations, please visit my website, mogulsmobcast.com, 
or email me at mogulsmobcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me and message me on Instagram at mogulsmob. 